Hi, and welcome to The Student Sums It Up. I'm Maggie McNamara, and every Wednesday, we'll give you the lowdown on Amherst College's latest news, conveniently packaged for your walk to class or your morning rush. Today, we'll be discussing Val's return to normalcy, means for changes in Val food options, reckoning with our racial past, a conversation with Kwame Anthony Apaya and Adolph Reed Jr., and the follow-up on the bicentennial celebration. Today's episode of The Student Sums It Up, I sat down with Tana Delalio to discuss Val's return to normalcy and the changes in Val food options. Tana, can you like give me a brief summary of what is happening at Val, what's new, what's different? So following the college's loosening of COVID-19 restrictions on October 20th, Valentine Dining Hall has returned to full capacity. And the change signals a long-awaited return to normalcy after months of outdoor and to-go dining. Val now holds approximately 750 seats, which underclassmen are able to help fill for their first time at the college. But while students are ecstatic about the once again lively atmosphere in Val, its staffing shortage and lack of options for students with dietary restrictions has complicated the transition. Yeah, and what have the changes in food options been so the dining hall removed its prepackaged snack options a couple weeks ago, such as yogurts and brekkie, which many students relied on as supplements to their meals. But instead of adding more menu items to the allergy-free section to compensate for the lack of snacks, they actually reduced the number of items available. So many vegetarians and vegans have complained about the lack of protein staples, and people who are eating gluten-free feel as if there aren't enough carbs for them to eat. What has Val done to kind of reckon with this unsustainable structure? So Val hired a new menu coordinator and nutritionist named Megan Scuddy, who's hoping to reduce students' stress surrounding food. Scuddy said that Dining Services wants to make sure students know they're not taking their complaints lightly. And in the upcoming weeks, they're working to increase this amount of options for vegan and vegetarians and for people who are gluten-free. And they've already expanded their options for people who can eat normally. They have waffle stations and pizza, but people who can't eat gluten can't eat those items. So I think a lot of students are looking forward to the added options. Yeah, and can you discuss what student reactions have been to the restricting of some of these dietary options? Well, so since the options have been increased for most students eating at Val, it's difficult for students with dietary restrictions because they're not able to experience that same benefit of eating inside Val that the other students are. Um, Margaret Pearson, who's eating gluten-free, complained about the lack of gluten-free breakfast options, whereas normal student, other students can eat waffles and donuts in the morning. Um, the only ones they have are available in a fridge, and they're just not the same quality as the other ones. Um, Omisha Perohit talked about how her option for protein used to be brekkie, and because she doesn't eat eggs, which is primarily um, what Val offers to vegetarians for protein, she feels like she doesn't really have that many options at all, and she'll have to eat like a cup of beans or chickpeas um, just to get enough nutrients in her day. So dining services did discuss how the lack of staffing at 
Val has contributed to the lack of options. Um, Director of Dining Services Joseph Fluckinger noted that Dining Services is currently short about eight people for 80, 40 hours per week, which is 320 work hours each week. So he hopes that as Val gets closer to full staffing, they'll be able to increase what's offered. Thank you so much, Tana. Thank you. This week, I also sat down with Lin Lee to discuss the reckoning on our racial past, a conversation with Kwame Anthony Apaya and Adolph Reed Jr. Lin, can you just discuss a little bit about this conversation that happened and where it took place? Yeah, the conversation took place in Johnson Chapel on Thursday, October 29th, and it was moderated by Professor Shaw in the philosophy department. Yeah, and what was really discussed during this? Uh, Apaya and Reed discussed um, several points, including including the idea of whether the concept of race is a myth. Apaya, for instance, spoke about the issue through the lens of the medical sciences and discussed how like scientists for a long time believed that Racial differences were grounded in what he called some kind of objective set of biological differences, following up by saying that, quote, it was terrible science. Uh, Reed spoke about the question in the context of political science and anthropology, saying that he confirmed early on that there are no subspecies level differences among human populations. Who, can you give us just a little bit um, for maybe listeners that don't know who he is, who is Kwame Anthony Apaya? Yeah, Apaya is a renowned ethicist. A renowned ethicist. Uh, he's currently a professor of law at at New York University. Uh, he earned his bachelor's and PhD from the University of Cambridge, um, and holds honorary degrees from a multitude of other colleges, including Columbia University and Harvard University. Uh, He's been awarded many uh, honors and prizes. His most recent book is entitled The Lies That Bind. What were some of the reactions of other attendees of the event? Was there anything that was, you know, super controversial that anybody said or that something that a lot of people agreed with? Uh, I think the students mostly appreciated the speaker's um, perspectives, which were a little bit like unorthodox and different from what they were used to. Some students did expect, or some students did express um, wanting to hear more clarification about the speaker's points. Yeah, one student said it was refreshing to hear that uh, the speakers talked about race as something something that, quote, we just made up. He, he did push back on the speakers a little bit, though, saying that he does think that race exists because, uh, quote, people believe it exists, and that since we all identify with it, it is therefore real. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you.
also sat down with Kaylin McQuilkin um, to discuss as follow-up on the bicentennial celebration that happened on October 15th that included performances with Grammy Award-winning artist Common and several pieces of celebration within the college. Um, Kaylin, can you discuss a little bit about following up on this huge event? Yeah, for sure. So basically, this article was written to look more closely into what went into planning the event, specifically the financial resources that went into planning the event, and how the Amherst College community responded to that. And so the while the budget office and administration were not very responsive and did not decline to provide any actual numbers of how much money was spent by the college, what they could tell the student was that the funds came from, quote, a combination of regular event budgets and designated gift accounts. Um, and also the fact that there were leftover funds from things such as Fall Fest and Winterfest last year that didn't happen during the pandemic. Um, but they did definitely emphasize the college's solid financial footing and its very strong endowment. Um, and student, one student who was on the budgetary committee that helped with planning this in the beginning, while she was not involved in the process and um, after like where they decided the actual budget, she could tell us that the college said to not be worried about any financial restraints while planning the events for the bicentennial. Yeah. Do we know where a lot of these financial resources were put towards during the celebration? So it sounds like the priciest things were bringing in Grammy Award winning artist Common, um, and then also the fireworks show that happened at the end, um, bringing in a Ferris wheel, and then also the wide variety of food vendors that were there that came in from the area, including um, like places like Wildwood Barbecue, Fried Dough, places like that. Do they know how many food vendors came in? Uh, they didn't calculate a total, but that would be good to know. <laughs> a lot. What have been the student reactions to this expansive spending? Um, so while some people, I think students overall expressed a bit of frustration that the college isn't more open with its budget uh, with this event and especially given the fact that this happened around times where there were calls for more funding and more counselors sent to the counseling center um, and like a bunch of different calls from students at the college asking for funding to be directed to different things. And so there's definitely a general sense of frustration around that. And I think that something else that came out of the interviews done for this article was also just this general idea of a lack of transparency from the administration about its planning and its use of the budget. I think students wished that there had been more or yeah, transparency about how much money was spent on this event so that people could make a more informed opinion about how they felt about it. Thank you so much, Kaylin. Thank you. Special thanks to the team at The Student, including Becca Bachita, Brian Yu, Sophie Wolmer, Lynn Lee, Kaylin McQuilkin, and Tana Delano. Once again, I'm Maggie, and thank you for joining us. See you next week.